Good day, my friends. This is Under Review, the tennis podcast from an insider's perspective. I'm Craig Shapiro, and on the show, I talk with the most interesting voices in the sport. We have a great show for you today. The rains finally came. The fires have subsided. The Australian Open is in full effect. And our guest has been here since day one, broadcasting for Tennis Channel. She grew up in Southern California, where she honed her craft under the tutelage of the great Robert Lansdorff and was a dominant force in tennis through the late 90s and 2000s, posting wins over Groff, Hingis, Capriati, and the Williams sisters, to name a few. She won 55 WTA Tour titles, three majors, including the 2000 Australian Open, and she has an Olympic gold medal. She got to number one in the world, and we have her here for you today. Lindsay Davenport is going to discuss what she has learned so far at this year's major. We're going to take a walk down memory lane and recount the 2000 tournament, and she's going to explain what it's like to be a Hall of Famer doubling as a tennis mom. She is sitting right in front of me. We are in the media center here at the Australian Open. This episode is brought to you by Sergio Tacchini, the official apparel sponsor of Under Review. How'd I do? Very good. I like it. (laughs) (laughs) Did I get everything right? (laughs) Yeah. Um, First of all, what a spot. Uh, Week two, um, how has your tournament been? You know, I always feel that the Grand Slams, they're all so chaotic in the first week. And you're trying to cover, you know, it just seems like an insane amount of matches, trying to focus on what players are playing well, any of the upsets that go on. And then things really kind of just calm down for the best of the best in the second week. And we have... Uh, so many storylines that we're always trying to keep a track of, you know, his, historical um, components of the game, the American component of the game. Um, every slam is pretty wild. It seems like you just never know what's going to happen. So we do a five-set format. Let's just slam right into this. Um, <laughs> our first set we call it the off-the-court report. Now, do okay. I have it right that you have uh, you're you're like segued into tennis momhood? Uh, yeah, I've tennis momhood. It, it's been um, gosh, you wonder how many hats you can wear in one sport. <laughs> And how many different ways you could like you have eyes through the sport so obviously was a junior player um then a pro player now commentator helped madison some at a bit and now my son is super into it so it just seems like it's it's kind of a crazy little life so you have so i have it right you have a son who's a who's who's good he well we hope so we think so at 12 but um he's 12 it's 12 he's, you know and it's like one of those where we're traveling to my husband also was a player grew up playing um all the junior tournaments so we just laugh now we're we're doing what our families did at thanksgiving you know there's like the indoors and we're like oh, okay i guess we split you <laughs> you take him to the indoors really? day after christmas i took him to winter nationals and the rest of the family goes on um but we love it i mean i married into a tennis family um my husband and my son have an incredibly close relationship as father son as parent coach as everything and your husband is rick leach's brother yes yeah and he was a good player at usc do i have that right yeah yeah exactly he was a good collegiate player he was also a really good junior player won a lot of um gold balls silver balls like you know all of that kind of stuff he grew up in the same life i i grew up in so for us um it's actually super cool that we get to go back and and do this all over again and um you know we have four kids we have one who loves tennis my son he's super into it and he's a great kid you know acts well tries his butt off doesn't talk back yet at only 12 and so it's kind of fun to go on this journey how is it for you are you relaxed or are you like are you completely like freaked out no no not freaked out um pretty relaxed but you know when it's your own kids and they put a lot of effort in and it means a lot to them of course it's a big deal but 
um, I think we've got pretty realistic heads on our shoulders. We've been through this. Um, we know it's a marathon. You know that it's like one in a million. It probably even harder for someone to come and make it on the pro tour. It makes him happy, so it makes us happy right now. That's cool. Um, is there anything harder um, about broadcasting a slam than there is being a player? Uh, is it better to be a player? <laughs> no, no, we're killing it once you get into the broadcasting life. It is so much less stress, but you still get to come to these amazing sites. I mean, I grew up loving tennis. I couldn't find it enough on TV when I grew up. I was born in 76, so like through the 80s, it wasn't that easy to find, even the early 90s. I remember wanting to watch Mary Jo Fernandez in the final of the French Open, and it was on tape delay, you know, on NBC. It was like, it was so hard for me to watch enough. I love that we now, um, it, Tennis Channel try and provide tennis for the viewers. Now I get to come walk through these gates. Every time I come through, whatever Grand Slam it is, you think, gosh, I'm so lucky. And when you're a player, you have no idea what else exists. You're worried about yourself, the ball. You have no idea this other world that goes on at these tournaments. Has it been sort of eye-opening in a way to be here with, like, less of, like, with, with, without the practices, without the... Totally. Like, you don't really worry about the weather as a broadcaster. Like, is it going to get rained out? What court am I going on? Am I early? Am I late? Did I hit enough? No, there's... There's so much stress when you're trying to do well at the majors, try and peak here, um, a lot of pressure. Obviously, there's more media, more peop more eyes on you, um, more players around. So it was always pretty stressful for me at, at these tournaments. I expected a lot out of myself. Um, so now it's like, I'm like, this is amazing. <laughs> I love coming amazing. back here now. <laughs> that is a tremendous. Now, um, let's go into our second set. It's the on-the-court report. It's really what everybody wants to know about. I mean, what have we learned? Let's start with the women. What yep. have we learned here? Um, there's going to be a new champion. There's going to be a, a new first-time Australian Open champion. I, and I'm not even sure this tournament went the way we thought it was going to be. Uh, with Serena playing so well in Auckland, I really thought she was going to win here. Though you get to Melbourne, the courts were much slower. They're playing much slower this year than they did the last few years. Um, I think for Serena, I think she plays her best on a quick court. Uh, I was bummed. I want to see her break this record. And we, all of us, all of us have been waiting um, in, in the sport for it to happen. And you know, it was a little bit of disappointment when she lost. Um, we see this rise of Sophia Kennan. I mean, you cannot doubt a, a player that wants to win, knows how to win, and goes after it. And love to see that feistiness on the court. Did you think that? Um, do you think that maybe Serena has? they've created like such a such a pressure cooker maybe and it's a bit unfair to her i mean she has the open era record like by far it's not even you know close men or women and but yet people have turned it into this race then against you know margaret and i, I think it is i think it's become too much um she's incredibly happy you know with everything else going on i wish that the focus wasn't so much on it and you know, be more aware of saying she holds the record for open era Grand Slam. There's no arguing that. Um, back to Sophia. Um, does she have a shot to win this tournament? Ah, gosh, we'll see, right? I don't. I mean, we'll look back and think. Uh, I don't know. I think the semifinals were a very attainable goal. She's had a pretty good draw in terms of who she's played ranking wise. Um, but you can't underestimate that really tough win over Coco Goff. That that felt more 
then she, that she was playing a top 10, top 15 opponent for sure. She just doesn't miss. She doesn't miss. She does, And she doesn't get rattled. I mean, you might see her get like a little upset at herself, but she looks like she expects to win every single point. She's got that feistiness, that kind of street fighter attitude. And we haven't seen that in all these American players the last 20 years or so. It, it's great to see that quality in an American player. I, and to that point, I felt like Coco Goff... Um, I feel like her forehand has like some real, real issues. Um, do you, did you, do you, do you think that? It's interesting. After the U.S. Open last year, I think if you were to look at Coco's game, you'd say, "Wow, the second serve that needs a little bit of work." And the forehand, big grip. She struggled against that Osaka match in New York, handling power. She comes here and she made improvements on those two shots. I was very impressed with in four or five months how she got those shots a lot better. I thought against Kennan, I thought she ran out of emotional energy. That first set, there was not one point, well, maybe one or two points in a 7-6 set that went by without a big come on from either player. They were trying to match each other with a lot of emotional energy. And I, I felt like that just, like, it was so hard for Coco to maintain it throughout the match. And it just got a little bit flat in the third. And Sophia's like, bring it on. You know, player box management. To me, no one was really spoken about it with any significance, but um, I feel like maybe it needs to be addressed. You know, like that Coco Golf box is up, fired up every, and it seems like it drains the. It seems a little draining. Yeah, I think she likes the excitement. She wants to feed off their energy. I think that they'll learn how to manage it. I mean, really, in in a match. I don't know. I always think there's like probably at the most five really big moments. That's like a really big come on moment. You know who's a master at that? Roger Federer. You don't hear anything. You don't hear anything. And then when you hear the kumietz or whatever he says, you know it was a big moment. Doesn't waste any other emotional energy. But I think at 15, I, I think she'll, I think she'll start to learn some of that stuff. Like not one all, 15 all doesn't necessarily elicit a big come on every single match. Give her a lot of credit though for trying to get, get herself through that match and just didn't have it at the end, but she didn't stop trying. Um, Muguruza? Yeah, love it. I'm, Conchita Martinez is probably one of my most favorite people in this sport. Incredibly kind-hearted woman. Uh, when she was on tour, she was so sweet. Dealt with a lot of pressure coming from Spain and living in the shadows of Arancha. Um, I was thrilled when I heard that they were back together. I started texting her. Wishing her luck, um, hoping that she would make things happen. So I'm, I'm thrilled on a personal level for Conchita. Uh, it's nice to see Muguruza back with that look in her eye. I mean, she looked like a scared soul on the tennis court last year. Didn't know what to do. do what about her quality? Do you think the quality had... I didn't see the last match. Do you think her quality has been good? Because I kind of felt like... I didn't think she looked that good versus Shelby Rogers. That was like a yeah. weird match. And then... she. she Apparently, she got very sick coming from Shenzhen to Hobart, came in, wasn't sure she was going to play, had to take a few days off, got through that match, and then things have kind of clicked. But if you watch her play, she definitely looks like now, Garbina, that she's playing with a sense of purpose. She's on the baseline, looking to take balls early. Um, she just looks like she knows what she wants to do. You, you can't say that. If you go back to watching her tapes last year, she looked lost, she looked confused, she didn't really take ownership of her game. It looked like she didn't know how she wanted to play. So far in Melbourne, I mean, that has gone away. And what can you tell us about Pavlyuchenkova? That, you know, that's going to be an interesting match. And, and I worry a little bit for Garbina more mentally, having now to face Sam Sumik, who coaches Pavlyuchenkova, who obviously worked with Muguruza, I don't know, five years or so. 
Um, we'll see how, I think that's more of a mental battle than anything else. Like, can Garbina go up there, kind of put that aside, play the ball, play her opponent, and not worry about what else is going on? And, but, and Pavlia Chekhova's playing uh, very, very, um, very, very, like, clean, hard-hitting tennis. She just, like, it, it's been fun to watch her play better. Beat Pliskova had never beaten her, had been 0-6. She came out there with the belief, then watching her fight back against Kerber and at the end be the stronger player, not only with her game, but also physically, maybe the one area that's held her back throughout the years. Her, qual her quality, and even the first set that she lost was high quality. Yeah. She really yeah. rips the ball. She, I don't know, it feels like to me, I, I don't know what you saw, that she's getting in better position. And then her big groundies are kind of finding their mark. But so much is with these players, a lot of it's confidence. She seems to have it again. And, and we know that she was training in L.A. with Sumac, uh, you know, I think in at the West Side Club, yeah. <laughs> you know. Yeah, exactly. Uh, it, you know, I, I wonder what happens in, in, you know, you never know going onto a court what's in a player's mind. Um, but I'm sure it's like a, it's a matchup that, again, it's, it's more mental than anything else. Um, where, what's your uh, feeling regarding Madison? Um, you know, right, you know, today here in 2020. Yeah. Um, you know, Madison, I don't think there's a day that goes by that we're, we're not in touch and we're texting, I should say. Yeah. Um, you know, for, for me, I, she could not be happier off court. And that is fantastic. She's, she's really settled. I think this one shook her up a little bit. She was not happy with the way she played, not only here, but also fourth round U.S. Open against Vitalina. Didn't bring her best, didn't bring her best against Sakari. And this is where she wants to do her best. So I, I think there'll be a, a little bit of some conversations on, okay, how does she get back to playing her best at the majors? What, what does it take? Because um, when she's playing well, it's hard to picture who anyone can beat her. And really. she played well coming in here. Yeah. But then, you know, another thing that, I mean, all players have to learn how to do, but I think more so, Madison especially, how do you win not playing certainly not your best but how do you win even if you bring your C level a lot of players have to figure that out that is something that that kind of is is crucial to her being able to get through a grand slam especially when I mean it's 13 days for the women you're gonna have a bad day in there you, you got to get through those days she wasn't able to do that against Sakari now um, just finally you know, Barty and Holop are still in this uh, <laughs> are still in this draw yeah I mean it's 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 still so tough. I mean, okay, we don't have an Australian Open champion, but you've got Barty. I mean, Kvitova was a set away from winning here last year. Got Halep, who's looked very good. Uh, maybe wasn't talked about as much in the first week, but I think that the conversation has to start to include her, include her now. Garbina. I mean, there's so many players that are left. We'll see with Kennan. I mean, let's let's see who Kennan ends up playing. I, I don't know. I mean, she's, she's pretty solid, pretty good, and, and pretty driven. Yeah. Um, let's move into the men. Yep. Um, did we learn anything interesting over the last, you know, seven, eight days? I, I feel like we learned the most the last three days of the men's tournament. Um, you know, it's like, okay, can we just fast forward to the semis? Is Roger going to play Novak? I, um, can Rafa get through on the other side? I was surprised Medvedev went out. Um, I, everyone was thinking, okay, someone's going to break through and win. Teams obviously still left Zverev. That could be the low-key story of this tournament. And he's maybe managed his way now, getting to this spot, winning in straight sets, not fighting through five sets, not fighting himself. 
that could make a big difference this final few days. It looks like Zverev um, and, and even Rayonich both kind of seem to have like fix some of their problems. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, a lot of times problems come back in the most high-stress moments. Yeah. Zverev done an amazing job navigating the first week and a half or so, not getting into high-stress situations. That, that's key as well. Um, but, I, I mean, I don't know. Novak's looked in, perfect. I mean, his game is amazing. I don't know, emotionally, maybe the Kobe Bryant um, news, I don't know if that shakes him up. They were pretty close. Mm. Um, I don't know. It's hard to bet against Novak at this tournament. It plays so well on the surface. And, and, and also, listen, you said it, but Stan is hitting, the, serving huge, hitting the backhand down the line for winners. That's how he won three. Yeah, and he said that he thought that match with Medvedev was his best match since his surgery. I mean, that's a long time. That means he's finally back to feeling himself again. That's how I felt when I watched. Yeah, that's how I felt. He yeah. looked, like, really, really good. It's, it's so exciting, but to see these other guys playing well again, but we need them to play well against the big three here. And I don't know, three out of five sets, gosh, it seems like an impossible task to beat Novak here, or Rafa at the French, maybe even Rafa here, he's looked good so far. Yeah, impossible to, impossible. You pick, who's your winner for the men? I feel like Stan is gonna you surprise think, really? everybody. I think he keeps going. Okay, we'll see. Who does he get next, Zverev, is that right? Yeah. Tough draw, right? Medvedev <laughs> to play Zverev to most likely Rafa to most likely Novak, Roger. Oh my God, that would be something. That might be his biggest feat, especially after a surgery. I think I'm. I think I'm picking with my uh, heart. Yeah, <laughs> that's let's, okay. Let's move into our third set. This is okay. the portion of our show we talk about your career. Oh God. Now can we go to the fourth? Now, um, <laughs> when I say to you the summer of '98, what yeah. does what does what comes into your mind? Um, you know, it, it was like a, a dream come true. And, and even leading up, there's three tournaments played back to back to back in California, like won them all. It was like, that's impossible. That, but that sort of marks the moment where you really turned it up. Yeah, and I think also, and, and this is, was pretty key. I mean, you can talk, obviously it gave me confidence, but I learned how to manage match, we, I mean, three weeks in a row, it's not easy to do, and manage myself physically, manage myself emotionally, figure out again what we were talking about earlier, when, when I wasn't playing well. Um, and all of a sudden, when those three weeks were over, it was like this sense of calm, like, okay, I can do this. Now, that wasn't a grand slam, but um, that, that gave me a lot of, lot of hope, mentally, physically, all of that going into New York. I always say some things have to go your way. It could be the draw, it could be weather, it could be scheduling, and like everything just kind of seemed to fall into place at US Open. And, you know, I don't know, it, it was a, it's a blur, it's a dream come true. Always wanted to win that one. When you, but would, would, would that be fair to say, though, that that's kind of what turned the corner for you? That's when you started playing your best? Yeah, you know, it was interesting. I won the, the, the medal in 96, then ex just immediately expected that, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do well in a Grand Slam, and it didn't happen. It was hard for me also to get used to day on, day off. It was, it's much easier. A lot of times if you ask players, it's on the women's side, two out of three sets to just play four days in a row. You just kind of get into this routine, you, you, you know what to do, all of a sudden it's like days off, practicing kind of gets monotonous. You know, you don't want to do too much, you don't want to get hurt, but you got to keep yourself sharp. Um, so I, I kind of started to get a little bit more comfortable with that um, as I got a little bit older. Um, but no sense, I went into that open, like obviously with the best chance I had yet of winning a major. Um, and it, it, and I think the crowd helped as well. Like getting the crowd behind me, that was certainly uh, key in some big moments. 
Um, the 2000 Australian Open. Um, where does that story begin? I mean, it begins in Sydney, doesn't it? It, it actually does begin in Sydney. Um, played there, actually lost in the final, I believe, to Moresmo. Could have been Hingis. I'm not totally sure. I thought you won the tournament. No, I lost in Sydney. Lost in Sydney. I thought you came into the 2000 Australian Open with a win that propelled you. No, I don't think so. My coach, I think I'm almost positive my coach was pissed. Oh. <laughs> Robert Bantov with how I played in that final. I'm almost sure. We're going to have to look it up, but um, was not happy. And then in my second round match, I remember not maybe playing great, but getting through. It was like 7 o'clock at night, and he's like, this has to change. I'm like, oh, yeah, whatever. He's like, we're going out to hit. I'm like, it's 7 o'clock, 7.30. He's like, I don't give a crap. He's like, we're going out. And he took me out to like a back practice court for like over an hour and like moving and hitting. And like that had never really happened before. It was like really kind of like locked down on me and something clicked right then and I remember then you didn't drop a set no no exactly (laughs) I know but I just started not to play well probably wasn't acting well and it kind of was carrying over and he nipped that in the I'll never forget that he was very few times livid at me Robert Vantoff um, your longtime coach um that relationship went on for, I mean, you, that was, the, you won all your slams with him? Yeah, I mean, I started working with him at ni- 1992. I was, so what would I have been, 16, 15? And all the way through 2002. So I was one of the lucky ones to be able to find um, a coach. You know, it's so weird these days. Like, people switch coaches all the time. That was so foreign to me. Like, I couldn't, you know, it, I was very lucky to believe in, like, the, the couple of people I had around me. And um, so that's what I'm saying. It that uh, that he Australian gave you the t- Open, the tough love, uh, and after that the- didn't happen often. And I was yeah. like, "What are you talking about? <laughs> like, I got through, and like, whatever." He's like, "You're you're you're spy-. you know." So, anyways, I remember kind of that kicking me into gear. But I remember this one being the happiest that I was. I mean, you played uh, you played Kornikova, you played Alar. You played Capriati, and then you beat Hingis. So I remember Capriati, I remember Hingis, and I remember the second round match against uh, Marissa Irvin, who's now Marissa Gould. Um, but I, I don't remember the <laughs> other ones, but um, Capriati was a tough match. I mean, we were born in the same year, same age, coming through, um, and she was always, like, especially in the semis of a major, she was, like, she reminds me a little bit of Ken. I mean, she was a street fighter as well, very tough competitor, that was your tightest match, I think. It was a close match. Um, and then I remember I had to pull out of the doubles semifinal because I was a little banged up after that semifinal or maybe retired mid-match to try and get ready for the final. I mean, Hingis had won, I believe, this tournament like three years in a row or something crazy. So I was a little bit intimidated. But the worst feeling in the world was up 6-1-5-1 in that final. Like, totally zoning. Like, oh, my gosh, this is amazing. And next thing you know, it was 5-all. And I remember going... This will go down as probably the biggest choke. I hadn't had match point, but like I'm like looking up like, no way. My mind totally was racing. Um, I was like holding the trophy before I actually earned the trophy, which is a, the biggest no-no in our sport. Um, I, luckily, I was able to regroup at five all and, and close it out seven five. But I do remember thinking like, I can't believe you're. This is happening. <laughs> Do you, do you have, like, a distinct memory of, like, getting it back together? I do. Isn't that funny? And I'm telling you, love 55 all now I'm at love 15, and I was serving, and I'm like, the panic is really starting to kick in. And out of nowhere, 
I play a good point. I think I hit like a, I definitely came to net. I think it was a backhand up the line or a backhand approach that either was a winner or she barely got to. And that point then was like, okay, I think I held it 15 and broke it low. But it was like, it, it started to get high stress. And that was a little bit of growth in me mentally because early in my career, I probably would have started to go crazy. I mean, that's got to be one of the most dominant uh, performances. Would have been if I <laughs> closed it out at 5-1. Yeah. Well, just to, go, just to go through seven <laughs> matches and straights yeah. like that. God, I mean, I don't know. Things seemed to click when that when I was playing well, I could seem to keep it going. But, you know, there's a lot of disappointments as well when you play a lot of majors. So... I mean, what can you do? I, I got, I came through there. How much, how much different, how much more difficult is it to win the seven than the five? I mean, you won so many tournaments and had much less significant success in the majors. Yeah. Do you, did, do you find, or is it just the luck of the? You know, I don't know. I always feel like, gosh, I played against in, in a couple of really, really tough errors. Um, when I first no came up, it was. Groff's, Groff's tour. I mean, it was like, gosh, am I going to get a game off her today? Um, you know, I wasn't at my best between 96 and, like, 98, and that was before the Williams sisters really, like, became the Williams. They, they were playing, but not. They had to develop starting. fully. Exactly. That's when Hingis really took advantage. Unfortunately, I just didn't have my shit together at 20 or 21 yet to be like, okay, I can... I can start winning majors. I was, it took me until 22 to even think I had a chance to win one. I was, you know, I, I fought myself a lot. Um, so there was some time there. Um, but, you know, once the Williams sister, I mean, Venus, like at her prime, I mean, she would cover the court like no one I'd ever seen. She would serve hard. She like hit the ball so hard. I mean, and then we had Serena coming up behind her. It was crazy. Um, and, and, so I don't know. Sometimes I look. My husband says, "Gosh, it's a miracle you even won three because you so didn't believe in yourself." But um, you know, it, sometimes the pressure. It was it's a it was a lot for my anxiety to play on these stages. Really, it's a lot of people watching. I, I felt a lot of the pressure. How would you? Uh, the last question. How would you describe your pro career? Wow. Um, I, beyond a dream come true. I mean, I didn't grow up thinking that this life was even possible, like I would possibly be good enough. Um, so to be able to play a career, I played my first pro event in 91. I played my last in 2008. Walk away on my own terms. I mean, it doesn't happen every day for everybody. I love these stories. I mean, you hear players, you hear Serena in these old interviews, you hear Coco Goff. I mean, they're like, I want to be the greatest. I want to achieve everything that's possible. I mean, I couldn't even say that <laughs> in my dreams. I was so insecure. Um, it's, it's given me everything. It's helped me, you know, gave me my, my life, my career, um, my husband, my family. I mean, I, I, it's, I get overwhelmed, like, kind of talking about sometimes the sport and, and what it has done for me. You had an amazing career. I hope you're proud of it. Uh, set four? Good, let's move Are into we our going to set yeah, four? This is yes, a, we're moving into our fourth set. <laughs> this is the, called the 10 wall scramble. Okay. We don't do a deep dive. It's just okay. I say it and you just what say what comes into like your mind. Like one word answers or what? Whatever you think. Okay. Favorite tournament? Indian Wells. Favorite court? Could be any court in the world. I know, I'm thinking. Uh, I gotta go Arthur Ashe Stadium. Really? Played a lot of matches there. Once that court opened, I did not like Louis Armstrong. So 1997 <laughs> was like, oh, we have a new court at the U.S. Open. <laughs> Best win. I'm going to say Steffi in the Wimbledon final. What was the year? 
99. 99 Wimbledon final. Um, your worst loss. Is there one that Toughest, just hurts? Worst? I don't know. The one the, that hurts the most? Uh, uh, Wimbledon final 05. I lost to Venus. Had one match point, but I had been up a break in the third. So that one, not my worst loss because I played. That was one of the few matches where I p- could say, like, gosh, I played well and didn't win. But toughest to get over. Biggest difference between tennis now and tennis at, at your, in, your, in your real prime? The athleticism, the physicality of these women, uh, these players, are, is just off the charts these days. Big entourage or lean and mean? Oh, lean and mean, come on. How many did you travel with? One. Uh, later in my career, uh, two. I started bringing my own physio so I wouldn't get as hurt. Coaching from the player box? Torn. I don't know what the answer is. I, it's the only sport where a coach can't make... I've, I've had it as a player, and now I've lived it as a coach. Uh, I, totally torn. I don't recall you being a big box no, looker. No, oh, I never, I never received it. No, definitely not. I would know by subtle things like a small little clap up that I'd done something well, um, but oh no. Encore coaching. The people the coaches going down to the court i hate the one to set either ha- either you let it happen or you don't but there's like half bs I don't, i'm not a huge fan of. that's weird right yeah uh last question your most dis- mo- your most difficult opponent for a period of my career i'm going to say from like 93 to 97 it was conchita martinez i could not get games off her it was like 0 and 7 for a stretch and it was like every time i saw her it was just like ugh. I Hard. managed to turn that around, but I was young. She had a lot of variety, and she just like toyed with me. It was like angle, drop shot, high ball, angle. It was like, please don't see Conchie in a draw. And was there anybody that you just tortured? Was there anyone that you loved to just like whip up on? Um, was there a player out there that you just like 30 and 0 verse? Uh, maybe. I gotta think about that. Um, I don't. See, when you just saw I, the draw, you just would, was like. I would. I always thought that that would that those kind of things would would change around. Now I normally always remember the ones I didn't want to play. <laughs> Let's move into our fifth and final set. We call this the Queen of the Court. If okay. there was an opportunity to make a big change in the sport, oh. with just a swing of the racket, no real aggravation, what would it be? Okay, I've become a huge believer in the ten point tiebreak for deciding sets. And after watching it play out here in Australia, I was unsure last year, um, but. You know, when you only played a seven, one let court, one double fall, one, I don't know, tough call or you don't have a challenge left, I think a 10-pointer gives you a chance to get back into it. I think it, I would get rid of let's, the nuisance. Half the time, the machine's wrong. Players are arguing that it was a let, it wasn't. Um, really? Take that out and just let them play. Really? Very few dribble over. I mean, if you were to count, like, through the... I don't think it would affect much, and it would speed up play quite a bit. Um, I would say a maximum, you could catch your toss. I don't know, like, there has to be something against throwing it up two or three, four times. Coco Goff's got that. A little bit. I, I think maybe it's you can catch it once, second one you got to hit. Like, so put a little bit of, or maybe, I don't know if you give them a total number, but I, I don't like the free, okay, I tossed four times or five times. So you're on the Brad Gilbert program. Is that what he's on? Program, then, that he wants it to be a, to count as a fall. I think you give an errant one every now and then, but um, you shouldn't have unlimited chances to toss the ball up. That's three things. Is that good? I no. How many good. do you want? No, no, that's three. How many do you want? No, Let's keep going. No, okay. no, no, that's cool. <laughs> Listen, 
Um, first of all, thank you. Um, you know, I've been trying. We've been trying to make this happen for I a know. minute. Now we do it in Melbourne. We did it I'd all across. Do it in Malibu. No, I felt like that was kind of cool to do it across the globe. Very cool. I'm glad yeah. you made it. Honestly, you made you made uh, you made the trip worthwhile, and um, thank you so much. Thank you. Uh, you are released. <laughs> that seemed like nothing. <laughs> Huge thank you to Lindsay Davenport, and thank you to Emma Weir in the Aussie Open Media Office. I'd like to thank Sergio Tacchini, the official apparel sponsor of Under Review. See what they're doing at SergioTacchini.com. If you've been thinking of becoming a patron of the show, now is the time. Head on over to Patreon.com slash UnderReviewTennis to read all about it. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash UnderReviewTennis. Please subscribe, rate, review, and tell your friends. We can be found wherever you get your podcasts. We also love hearing from you, so if you have a topic you want explored or a person you want to hear from, please let us know. Our email is info at underreviewtennis.com. At UR with CS is our Twitter handle. Underreviewtennis is our Instagram and Facebook. To catch some clips from some of our interviews, check out our YouTube page. Our music is by Brian Senti, and Jason Binnick mixes the show. We'll be back next time with more of the most interesting voices in the sport. Till then, I'm Craig Shapiro, and you are released.